0: This is Mythos, and I am the creator, Nicole Schmidt. This podcast is a storytelling journey through world folklore. Here, you will experience fresh interpretations of traditional narratives, mainly with a darker edge. The aim of Mythos is to ignite a passion for the lore of generations past by telling the stories with a sense of magic, as if they were entirely real. With brief context and analysis in the introductions, the main focus is the retelling of the stories themselves. Welcome to Series 3, Folklorica Nordica. As these autumn days descend into the dark days of winter, we will journey into subterranean and spiritual realms through the folklore of the Nordic world. We will encounter the shamans, the subterranean beings, the wise folk and healers and trolls and giants of Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, the Faroe Islands, and Finland. In these northern lands, we will encounter a fascinating body of tales retold to evoke not only the original magic of the stories, but also the beautiful and mysterious regions they come from. This is a special guest episode of the Folklorica Nordica series of Mythos. In this episode, you will hear Finnish tales from London-based storyteller Sarah-Lisa Wilkinson. Being half Finnish herself, Sarah has a particular interest in Finnish folktales and myths, and she performs regularly with the Embers Collective and Story Gym, as well as other clubs in London and other parts of the UK. If you'd like to know more about Sarah and her work, which we love over here at Mythos, then see the link in the show description for an interview with Sarah on the StoryGM website. And enjoy the stories.
1: I'm going to tell you a couple of stories from the Kalevala, which is the Finnish national epic. My mother is from Finland, so I grew up very aware of these stories. And when I first started storytelling myself, um, they were some of the first things that I gravitated to. So I'll tell you two stories from two different parts, um, not necessarily linked, though you might notice little things are in one that are also in the other. And the first story I'm going to tell you is about a girl called Einok. Aino means only one in Finnish. She was the only daughter of her parents. She was 13 years old, with fat fair plaits tied with red ribbons and sturdy boots on her feet. And she lived with her mother and her father and her older brother in a farm towards the north of Finland, not far from the area they called Pohjula. And there were those people who lived further south who, when they spoke about Pochula, would say, Oh, it's a bit grim up north in Pochula, a bit bleak, full of shadows, full of terrors. But if Aino had ever heard anybody say that, she would have laughed, because to her it was beautiful. To her it was home. When she stepped out of the farmhouse, the ground greeted the soles of her feet. And when she walked in the forest to gather berries or mushrooms or get bust of a sauna, the birch leaves whispered her name. Said, hey, I know. how are you doing? Good to see you. Her brother said she was stupid, that the leaves weren't saying that at all. But she ignored him, because she knew what she heard. But on the day the story starts, she wasn't in the forest she was standing outside the farmhouse looking up at her mother and her father who were both talking really loud and really fast over the top of one another so it was almost impossible to make out what they were saying but she caught the odd word brother, challenge, lost promise, you, wife, Weinermönen me wife Weinermönen 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 she knew who Weinermönen was Everybody knew who Vajnamoenen was. Vakar van haar Wise, ancient Vajnamoenen. But she couldn't marry him. She was 13, and he was... Well, he was born already over 700 years old, so let's just say that there was a significant age difference. Her brother wouldn't have promised her to him. But when she looked at her brother, her brother wouldn't look back at her. He was standing, staring at the ground and she saw two dark red spots of colour burning on his cheeks. So she looked at her father. He wasn't going to let this happen but her father had turned away and was calling, saying that the best beer needed to be brought out because they had an honoured guest arriving. So she looked at her mother but her mother thrust a basket into her hand and said, Go, quick. Get first of a sauna. There's not much time. And suddenly, everyone around her was running around, making preparations, making sure that everything was immaculate. And so Einar turned, and she walked away from the hustle and the bustle and into the cool green bubble of the woods. As she walked down those paths, the leaves around her, Hey, Einar, how are you doing? But she wasn't in the mood to talk. She stomped. With her sturdy boots, she bumped her basket against the trunks of the trees. She slammed it on the ground and she started gathering vusta for sauna. And just in case anyone isn't sure what that means, vusta is when you collect the fresh young growth of the birch. You bind it into bundles, you soak it in lake water. And then when you're in the sauna and you've got a good sweat on, you thrash yourself all over your body. But it isn't flagellation, it's invigoration. As Aino collected the birch, she thought to herself, brother, challenge, lost. And she snapped the twigs a little sharper than usual. And then she thought, promise, me, wife. And she broke the branches with a touch more vigour. And then she thought, vaheinameinen, vaheinameinen. and she brought down boughs and she shredded leaves and she cracked trunks until her basket was overflowing and the tree stood naked but when she looked through those bare branches standing on the other side looking right back at her was Vainamainen himself grey-eyed grey-bearded furrowed skin and yes There was wisdom in those eyes. Yes, there was authority in his bearing. Yes, there was power coiled in every limb. But when he took a step towards Einar, she froze, petrified. So he reached out a hand towards her, gently, softly coaxing, coaxing, like she was a little cat. And he said, Young maid, From this day on, never wear the ribbons on your braids for anyone but me. Don't deck your neck with beads for other eyes to see. Don't pin that cross on your breast for another hand to undress. And again he reached towards her, but I jolted. Her hands flew to her hair. She tugged the ribbons from her plaits. She wrenched the beads from around her neck. She plucked the cross from her breast and she chucked them on the ground and said, Not for you! Not for anyone. I don't need ornaments. I don't want fine things. I am happy in shreds and patches. I am satisfied with bread and water. I grow strong with my father. I sleep sound with my mother. And with that, she turned and she ran, kicking up the earth with her sturdy boots, hot, furious tears flying from her eyes. She ran back through the gate of the farm and there she saw her brother, her stupid older brother. And he said, hey, I oh don't cry about it brother don't I have reason to cry I just lost my ribbons my best red ribbons in the woods didn't I you'd cry if that happened to you and on she flew past her father who was rolling a barrel of beer towards the house and he said hey Ina, don't cry about it father don't I have reason to cry I just lost my beads in the woods, didn't I? You'd cry if that happened to you. And on she flew into the house past her mother, who was kneading the dough for the bread, and she said, hey, Inos, stop. Why are you crying? Mother, don't I have reason to cry? I just lost my golden cross in the woods, didn't I? You'd cry? If that happened to you. Not really, said her mother. When you get to my age, you can't get too excited about golden crosses. And neither should you be. What happened? And then Ainul threw her arms around her mother's neck and she wept. There's a lot of crying in this story you might have noticed, of various different kinds, and this was the kind of crying that leaves you limp, empty. And Ina told her mother everything, how she'd seen Vainamonan in the forest, how he'd frightened her, and how she desperately didn't want to marry him. And her mother held her, and rocked her, and she sat her down. She peeled off the birch-stained skirt and shirt, she eased those muddy boots off her feet. She brought lake water, washed her hands and her face. And then she went and got a wooden chest. And when she opened the lid, Ina saw inside there were these silks and linens. And she knew exactly what they were and she said, ''Mother, please.'' ''I'm so frightened.'' ''Yes,'' said her mother. ''It's natural to be nervous.'' On such a big day. And she guided her daughter's feet into a white underskirt, and over it she smoothed a rich blue overskirt. Mother, please, said Ino. I feel sick. Yes, said her mother. Butterflies. They're caused by the nerves. Lift up your arms and as Einor lifted up her arms she dropped a shirt of linen over her daughter's head, followed by a shirt of lawn, she tied both of them with a silk belt around her waist. Mother, please, said Ein, I would rather die than marry that man. Yes, said her mother. Everyone has doubts. And she circled her daughter's head with gold, and twisted silver in her braids. But she couldn't find the shoes. You know, the good leather wedding shoes that were needed to complete the outfit. So she left the kitchen to go and look for them and Ina stood there frozen, decorated. Until she heard her mother's footsteps coming back and she began to walk. Backwards, out of the kitchen door, out through the yard, out through the gate, out through the woods. And at some point she stopped, turned around and walked the right way and she kept going and the leaves around her, ''Hey, Ina, where are you going?'' But she didn't stop to reply. She walked on and when she came to the edge of the land that she knew, she kept going. Over land that was strange to her. Land that was wild. Where the leaves didn't know her name. Trees scratched her skin, smeared sap upon her. She walked until the sun set. And all the way through a long, dark night. Until finally when the sun rose the next day. She'd come to the edge of the sea. And she looked out over that great bright blue and she laughed and she ripped off her shirts and she tore off her skirts she pinged off her golden headband and she dove right in and the water was freezing but delicious she splashed and she played and she did a little handstand and when she looked out she saw ahead of her a rock jutting out from the sea and on it were sat these three girls naked Just like her, their hair flowing, tumbling free down their backs. And they waved to her. And she heard them calling, Aino, Aino. And she waved back and said, I'm coming. And she swam. And now she was a good swimmer. She was a strong swimmer. But it was a lot further than she'd realised. And as she swam, her arms ached and her legs ached and her breath caught in her chest. But she made it. She hauled herself up to the top of the rock. But the girls were gone she was alone and as she looked out around her she saw mist rolling in over the waves and she felt the rock shift beneath her she closed her eyes she threw her arms around it and she held on tight and she didn't let go as it sank beneath the clear top water And she didn't let go as it sank beneath the deeper, darker water. And she didn't let go until it rested at the bottom of the sea. And the sea took the news of Ino's death in its waves and its ripples. And it told it to a river, who told it to a stream, who told it to a lake, who told it to a birch tree, dipping its leaves in for a drink. And the birch told it to another, who told it to another, who told it to another until the whole forest was trembling with the news of Einel's death. And her mother and father and older brother who'd been searching the woods for her heard it. And when they did, they froze, rooted to the ground. And they wept. And her mother's grief was so fierce that her tears churned up the earth where she stood. Carved out three rivers that flowed from her feet, roaring and rushing all the way to the sea where Weinermann sat fishing. Sad. No wife. Dejected. Hadn't caught a lot of fish. But when he brought in his nets, he saw that there was one. But it was the weirdest fish that he had ever seen. Wasn't a salmon, wasn't a trout, definitely wasn't a pike. It was a sort of rainbow hue. And he took his little knife and he was about to slit open the belly when the fish jumped up, balancing on its tail, and observed him with one dark, glistening eye before diving deep back into the sea. As Wainamoinen sat there, scratching his head, he heard laughter and he felt his boat rocking back and forwards, and then he saw ahead of him rising up through the water Ainul. But wilder and wetter, and she said, Oh, Vainamoinen, did you think I'd come to be your breakfast? Did you think i had come to be your lunch or your mid-afternoon snack? No, I was never made for you. You could never catch me, and you could never hold me. And she dove back down deep into the water, and Wainemonen called for her, he begged for her to come back. But she was gone, to swim under the water, or to sit on a rock under the sun, or maybe just sleep, sound, on the bed of the sea. So the next story comes a little bit later, in the epic, and it deals with another hero. Well, it's not really about him. It's about um, someone else close to him. And it starts a long time ago with a woman sat by a fire. Now, she wasn't young. Little lines creased the soft hanging pouches of her cheeks. Her back was bent over like a bow. And she had this nagging pain in her hip that just wouldn't go no matter how close she shuffled herself to the flames. And she was frowning. But it wasn't because of her various aches and pains. It was because she didn't know where her son was. Her son's name was Lemminkainen. You might have heard of him. As the greatest warrior that Finland ever produced. Or maybe as the most powerful shaman. Or perhaps as the most disarming or alarming ladies' man. But whatever he was, he wasn't there. Because he'd had a massive fight with his wife and he'd stormed off shouting about going to wage war on the people of the North because, you know, he was a hero and that was the kind of thing that heroes needed to do. Even though his mother had told him several times. Terrible idea. But had he listened to her? No. Had he come back? No. And as the old woman sat there, she thought, you know, it isn't right, it is not correct that a mother doesn't know where her own son is in the world, her own flesh and blood that she created, that she cultivated. So she called up to the great creator himself, Yumala, and she asked him for a sign. And just then, she saw on the floor a comb and a brush that her son had flung against the wall before he'd gone in a fit of pique and she noticed that the teeth of that comb were oozing with thick red blood and the bristles of that brush were bubbling with sticky black gore so as signs went it wasn't a good one and her old heart stuttered in her chest and she could have cried She could have sat there and wept and wailed for a hundred years. But there wasn't time. So instead of crying, she lifted up the hem of her dress. She eased her body up off her stool and she ran. And as she ran, it was like her spine straightened, her legs lengthened, her arms sliced through the air. And as she ran, the mountains crumbled beneath her feet. The valleys rose up to meet her. And when the trees in the forest saw her coming, they sprang out of the earth into one another's branches and got out of the way. And she ran until she came to the very north of the land. And when she was there, she called out for the witch, the hag that ruled over it. Her name was Lohi. And Lohi heard her. And you know, even though Lemminkainen's mother had grown a good six inches on that journey, Lohi was taller still. And she towered over the little old woman with her legs like oak trees and her eyes like knives and her teeth and her heart like iron. But Lemminkainen's mother met her gaze and she said, Have you seen him? Have you seen my son? And lo, he smiled. But it was a kind of smile a shark might give you. She said, Your son. Now, isn't he the loud one? yes he was here we had a bite to eat together we drank some beer and then i put him on a horse and i sent him on his way has he not come back oh dear well you know maybe he's been set upon by a wolf or eaten by a bear these things do happen you're a liar said lemminkainen's mother My son is no wolf's prey. He's no bear's meat. He could take a wolf and a bear one hand behind his back. You tell me the truth, or I'm going to make you regret it. You tell me the truth, or I will cause havoc in your land. Well, then the smile left Lohi's lips. And she said, all right, old woman. You want the truth? He was here, your son. He wanted to marry my daughter, the maid of the north, but I wasn't going to let him have her. Him with a wife back at home. So I said if he wanted a chance, he would have to complete a little task. And I sent him to go and shoot the black swan that glides on the dark water of the land of the dead. But I don't know why he hasn't come back. His britches bulging for a bride. Then Lemminkind's mother turned pale. She staggered just a little where she stood and she said, The land of the dead. No, he wouldn't go there. Maybe you're right, said Lohi. Maybe he bottled it. For all I know, old woman, he could be anywhere. So Lemminkainen's mother looked everywhere. She trod the forests in the shape of a great she-bear. And when she couldn't find him there, She became a wolf and she ran and she loped over every marsh and every swamp and when she couldn't find him there she became an otter and she swam and she dove through every river and every lake and when she couldn't find him there she shrank herself down. She became a little ant and she crawled over every rock and every stone. She asked a pine tree, tall and still, Have you seen him? Have you seen my son? And the pine tree, its voice creaking with age, said, Mother! "'I have got enough problems of my own without worrying about your son. "'Wasn't I planted here in evil days only to be stripped and hacked at for kindling?' "'She asked a road, a dusty little forgotten path. "'Have you seen him? Have you seen my son?' "'And the road, puffing with dust with every word, said, "'Mother, I have got enough problems of my own without worrying about your son.' Wasn't I laid here in evil days, only to be trodden on and rolled on by every horse and cart? She asked the moon. Have you seen him? Have you seen my son? Mother, I have got enough problems of my own without worrying about your son. Wasn't I thrown up here in evil days to shine cold and alone on evil deeds? She asked the sun. You must have seen him. You must have seen my son. And the sun dipped his great golden face as low as he could go, and he said, Mother, I have. And this is what the son saw. Lemminkainen rode through the forest straight towards the gates of the land of the dead. But when his horse realised where they were going, he began to rear up, try and get away, but the hero just urged him on. He kicked out at the men guarding it and he aimed his bow and arrow straight and true at that black swan gliding on the dark water. But there was someone else there already. A shadow lurking at the side of the river, a man with a grudge deep in his heart against Lemminkainen because the hero had insulted him. And when he felt him approach, he plucked a little black snake from the water and threw it like a dart the fangs pierced Lemminkainen's heart he tried to pluck it from his chest but his fingers were already stiffening his body was already twitching convulsing and he fell from his horse and sank beneath the water when Lemminkainen's mother heard what the son had seen her old heart stumbled in her breast And she could have cried. She could have wept and wailed for a thousand years. But there wasn't time. So instead of crying, she ran. She ran to the smith's forge. The smith's name was Ilmarinen. He was a burly, sweat-streaked, smoked, stained fellow. And she asked him to make her a rake of copper, a hundred fathoms long, with iron prongs, five hundred fathoms. And Ilmerinen got to work, with his tools and his flames and his spells and his incantations. And when it was ready, still warm, Lemminkainen's mother lifted it in her hands and she called down to the sun again and the sun dipped his great burnished face as low as he could go and he shone for her, straight onto the gates of the land of the dead. So the men guarding them began to yawn and stretch and sleep and Lemminkainen's mother walked in in the land of the dead it was quiet the only sound was the rasp of the grey grass against her feet as she walked a raven flew by close to her head went to cling with its claws on the bare branch of a dead tree She reached the river. The water flowed dark and silent before her. She stepped in. And it was so cold. It bit her right to the bone. She took another step. The cold reached her knees. Another step, it reached her thighs. Another step. And when she was there, waist deep, she raked. And she raked. And she raked and she raked until she felt the prongs stick and catch. And so she heaved with all her might and as she did she saw something. Limp and white rising up through that black water. A hand skewered on the prongs, followed by an arm mottled, a shoulder dislocated, a torso ripped and torn, a leg hanging limp and half a head. She lugged the body to the shore, but half his skull was gone. Another leg ripped clean away, pockets of flesh were gouged out all over his body. And the raven on the branch said, He's dead. Chuck him back in. If you're lucky, he'll become a fish. If you're really lucky, a pike. My son is no fish, said Lemminkainen's mother. And she stepped back in, and she raked again, and she raked up every bit of him, every bone, every bit of flesh, every hair, every eyelash. And once she had all of him laid out on the shore in front of her, she began to put him back together. She placed bone to bone, pressed flesh to flesh, sewed vein to vein with the tiniest of stitches. And as she worked, she sang her songs, she spoke her spells and her incantations. She cleansed his skin, brushed his hair until he was perfect, golden, as beautiful as he'd ever been. But there was still no breath in him, no rise and fall of his chest. And then she wept. She cried like her heart was breaking in two. She laid down by his side. She held him in her arms. But then as she looked up, she saw through her tears a little speck of colour, a dart of gold in that grey sky, a little bee. And she called out, Little bee, little bee, would you do something for me? Would you fly up to the kitchen of the gods and bring me down some nectar? And the little bee very humble, said, me? Are you sure? That sounds like a really important job. You don't want somebody bigger. But it was his to do. And so up he flew. Higher than he'd ever been before. Past the moon. Past the stars. All the way to the kitchen of the gods, where there were these great gold and silver bowls of nectar. And the mist and the steam rising from them. Oh, it was intoxicating. The bee almost lost his head. But he remembered his job, and he dipped his little wings into one of the bowls, and he flew back down, careful not to spill a drop. And and Lemminkainen's mother tasted it, and it was sweet. And she anointed her son's eyelids, his nostrils, his lips, his throat, his chest, all the way down his body. And she waited. until she saw a little flickering at his eyes, a little fluttering at his throat, and... (gasps) Mother! God, what a strange dream I've been having. What a long sleep I must have had. I feel stiff from top to toe. You would be a lot stiffer, son, if it wasn't for me. Right, well, can't just be lying around here all day. There's a lass up north that needs a damn good wooing. There's some laps up there that need a bloody good thrashing. No, she said. This is not the moment to be wooing lasses or thrashing laps. This is the moment to be going home, seeing your own wife. This is the moment to be spending a bit of time with your mother. And Lemminkainen was obviously about to argue with her, but there was something about the tone of her voice. And when he looked at her, he thought, has she got a bit taller? So he thought, well, I'll let her get away with it this time. And he took her arm, and the two of them walked out of the land of the dead, and as they did, Lemminkainen stopped and said, hang on a minute, where are we? I'll tell you, she said. And as she told him, the sun dipped his great crimson face as low as he could go and he lit their path all the way home.